Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. When you pray, are you close? We often focus on persistence in prayer, overlooking the promise we've been given of proximity. God is close to us. His word reminds us that he draws near to his children. In today's message, speaker and author Lisa Harper shares the promise we have in prayer in this message, How Much More? This week, Pave the way for children going back to school at our annual I Love My City Back to School Drive. Fill a backpack online at voochurch.com forward slash ILMC. Let's lean into the message together. Thank you, Jesus. I Well, actually, two qualifications. One is, Pastor Adrian, I am so sorry you're sitting right there because I so respect you. I'm a spitter, y'all, and I don't mean to. I've tried to rein myself in, but when I get excited about Jesus, I spew. And so this is going to be kind of baptismal row, which will be very unfulfilling if you're straight up Pentecostal. It'll be cool if you're Presbyterian because it'll just be a sprinkling. But um, it's, it's going to get a little wet up in the house. But um, speaking of wet, we were so excited to come here. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is why I talk funny. Um, but we just think Miami's so cool until I got here. And it's so hot. I've developed a deep hatred for Miami just in the last 24 hours. Um, yesterday, we were walking down by, the, um, down by the pier in Coconut Grove, and we kept seeing all these bikers. And it just reminded me of home because I love to ride. Uh, I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 when y'all are fasting. Um, and my birthday's in August. I was watching that and I thought, man, I dodged a bullet to miss the fasting because I think keto's from the devil. But anyway, um, when I turned 40, I decided if I didn't get a husband, I'm still single, never been married, so if you have an uncle, but anyway, um, who's employed, who loves Jesus is an employed. Let me, let me qualify it that way. But when I turned... When I turned 40, I decided if I didn't get a husband, I was going to get a Harley. And so I got my first big bike uh, the year I turned 40. And there's something about, I grew up half Baptist. I grew up just a few hours north of here in Orlando. I grew up half Baptist. My mom's still alive. She's Baptist of the bone. My dad, he actually started out as Nazarene, but he had a problem with monogamy. And so he just kept moving from, from church to church, and he landed in the assembly of God because after he repented, they just enveloped him. So I'm kind of Baptocostal, and the, the Bapta part of me has always been looking for an excuse to wear leather pants. And so when I bought my first bike, I was like, this is epic because now I have an excuse to wear leather pants. I can't wear them like DC because when I wear leather pants, it sounds like ducks are being killed. I cannot wear them as well as her, but I still wear them every now and then. And anyway, I was on my bike in my leather pants not too long ago on this road near where I live in Nashville called the Natchez Trace Parkway. It's this gorgeous federal parkway, uh, tons of bikers and cyclists on this road. And it was late in the afternoon, and I love to get out on my bike just like the people were doing yesterday down by the marina with no real destination in mind. I just want to ride. It just relaxes me. So I thought, I'm just going to go ride. I, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to go ride. I'm on the Natchez Trace Parkway. I'm riding. I look over to my left, and we've got um, 
huge hills. We call them mountains. They're really hills, but they're bigger than what you've got in Tennessee. And so there's this, this just huge hillside to my left, and it is covered with deer, probably a herd of about 100 deer. And the sun was setting behind that hill, so it's casting kind of this peachy glow on everything. And I thought, man, I've just got to pull over and sit in this for a minute. You know how you feel like that when you see the water or wherever here in Miami that you just feel your spirit settle? And so I pulled my bike over to the shoulder and I was watching the sunset behind those deer and I thought, how anybody could doubt the fact that we have a creator, redeemer? I mean, how in the world this came from pond scum? I have no idea. I mean, he is obviously... We had to have a God who created all this. And I'm just sitting there thinking about the goodness of God, that he would paint portraits like that. And I heard this roar. And I realized, oh, there's another Harley. Harleys have a real distinct engine sound for those of you who ride. I don't know if we have any hog riders in the audience, but but they have a real loud engine sound, supposedly for safety. And so I just immediately realized there's another Harley coming this way. A lot of bikers on the trace, no big deal. I keep looking at the deer. And then I realize the roar is getting closer and closer. And then I realize it sounds like that bike is coming at me. Just feels like the bike is coming at me. And so I look over my left shoulder and sure enough, there's kind of more of a stereotypical Harley dude. What skin I can see is tatted and pierced. And he has his bike, it's huge, aimed directly at me. Like he's coming out of his lane aimed right at me. And I thought, oh, help me, Jesus. I mean, the sun's setting. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I haven't seen anybody else in several minutes. I thought, I'm about to be an episode on on Unsolved Mysteries. I thought, oh, golly jeepers. And so this guy pulls, I mean, so close to my bike, I could have leaned on his. And I thought, I don't even know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. And he pulled off his helmet. He put one big old boot on one side of his bike and the other on the other side, and he went, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm fine. He said, is your bike okay? I said, yes, sir, my, my bike's okay. I just turned it off so I wouldn't scare the deer. And he said, all right, you fine on gas? I was like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm good. He said, you don't need any help? And I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm good. And he said, all right, I'll give you my number because you don't want to be out here by yourself. I was like, no, sir, I'm, I'm cool. He puts his helmet back on and just more roars off. And when I saw him get smaller and smaller, I thought, that is so not how I thought that was going to go. That's just so not what I expected. Y'all, if we pay attention, there is moment after moment after moment like that in Holy Writ. We have this idea that God is a faraway unibrowed librarian. And we are so quick to think outside of a setting like Vu, where Rich and Don Shree make God so accessible, we read the Bible by ourselves and we go, I don't get it. I need to go back into a setting where I'm excited. I need to have songs where I raise my hands because I don't really get God apart from somebody telling me about God. And we tend to think God is this far away, unibrowed librarian just waiting to smack us over the head with a 50 pound Bible. And it's so much better than that. It's so not what so many of us have been led to expect. One of my favorite scholars, I love all the dead guys, but this guy's still alive and kicking. His name is Dr. Craig Keener, 
For those of you who like to read, he has a book called Spirit Hermeneutics. He has about 60 books, but Spirit Hermeneutics is epic. And in that book, he says this, if you get out of scripture what you're expecting to get out of scripture, you need to change your expectations. It's always bigger. God's love is infinitely better than our finite minds can possibly wrap around. If you brought your Bibles... If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. If you didn't bring your Bible, we'll have it on the screen. Those of you watching online, I'm so jealous you get to be in stretchy pants. Luke chapter 11. I love Luke's gospel. We've got four books at the beginning of the New Testament called the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means the good news. And Luke's gospel is the only gospel written by a Gentile. We've got 66 books in our Protestant Bibles, and 64 of those were written by Jews. Actually, that's a misnomer. There's a few books that are formally considered anonymous. But there are only two books that we know definitively were written by a non-Jew, and that's the gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Now, if you read through the Bible in a year, there's probably two of you who've done that because most of y'all like me have burned out at Leviticus. But if you're one of those saints who actually gets all the way to the New Testament, when you get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, vault over John, come back for John later. But if you'll read from the end of Luke to the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see this amazing symmetry in the compassion of Jesus Christ because Luke wrote those two books together. They're kind of like Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. And so come back for John later. But if you read all of what Luke wrote, you get this amazing compassion, so much bigger than most of us dare to dream, about Jesus Christ. Luke was a Gentile. What's significant about that is he was an outsider. So he knew what it was to not fit, to feel like he wasn't quite good enough for the family of God. And he writes these stories about outsiders and outliers, people who would totally fit at VU, people who don't have quilted Bible covers or crop pants. He writes stories about people who go, I want a relationship with a real God. I don't, I don't just want tradition. I don't just want something that's doctrine. I certainly don't want something that's just about external conformity. I want a real relationship with a real God. Is that even possible? In Luke chapter 11, he starts with what is probably familiar to most of you. He starts with Jesus' dissertation on how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He's talking about John the Baptist, Johnny B right there. Verse two, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I know that messed y'all up because most of us have memorized that in the NIV translation. That's probably what your mama cross-stitched it in. This is ESV. But what's significant here? I don't want to focus on the whole prayer. I want to focus on the introduction. Because prior to this, prior to Luke 11, the people in the first century were taught to pray very formally. Prior to this, to Luke 11, they'd been taught to address Yahweh, Jehovah, Father God, 
as God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, or Holy One, Builder of Jerusalem. So there was always this formality when you came before the Lord. And when the disciples asked Jesus, how can we pray? How can we address God? He says, we'll start with Father. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic because he was from this dinky village called Nazareth. I was just there in March, my fourth time in Israel. Tiny little village, two to 300 people during the time of Christ. They spoke Aramaic. And so Jesus, it's trans, it's kind of confusing sometimes because it's transliterated into Greek here, but he's actually speaking Aramaic. And that word father in our English Bibles is actually dad, Abba, Abba. He says, you don't have to say, oh, builder of Jerusalem. You don't have to come before our creator, redeemer with fancy words. You can just say, dad. There's two other places in the New Testament where there's two words, ho patir, and that means daddy, father. It's like he really wants them to get, you can approach the creator of the universe as a father, as the one who's for you. And then he goes on and he tells the story so that they'll get what he's talking about. He says, which of you, verse five, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles and you've got a brick and mortar Bible, underscore impudence, we're going to come back for that in a second. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, most of you, if you've spent any time in church, and I know even in Miami, we've got a lot of Christers, a lot of Christmas and Easter people, you've probably heard ask, seek, and knock. That's super familiar. And most of us think when Jesus is talking here, he's talking about persistence in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. In other words, if you bang harder, God will come and answer your request. That's horrible application. That's not at all what Jesus was explaining to his followers. He tells them a story. He says, okay, there's a guy and he's already in bed with his children. Now, one of the things that, that we don't understand about this is in the first century, they had the family bed. So you didn't have separate bedrooms you had a family bed, so the mom and dad slept with their kids. So the implication here that we have to remember is the dad is in, is in bed with his kids. And then the neighbor bangs on his door because somebody has come to the neighbor's house and didn't text ahead of time and the neighbor doesn't have anything to give him because evidently he's fasting at Boo and has no bread or no pedo, which is so sad because Jesus says he's the bread of life. So... <laughs> Once again, I stand by my statement that carbs are spiritual. So even biblical. But anyway, Jesus says, so this guy next door comes and bangs on the door of a guy who's in bed with his kids and says, I need your help. Somebody's come over. I didn't plan. Taco Bell is closed. And I've got nothing to feed this guy. Again, we've got to understand how huge that is in first century context. Because for most of us, we just, we just text Uber Eats 
and we're covered, we're, we're fine. I was at the hotel last night looking at what I could have delivered. I mean, there were any number of options to have delivered at 11 o'clock at night at our hotel. That's not the case in the first century. In the first century, women baked bread once a week. They baked, bre- baked bread in community. I won't go there, that's a whole nother sermon, but dang, y'all. Almost all of scripture is said in the context of community. If you've been trying to, to reconnect with God by yourself and you think, you know, I'll go to VU every now and then, but I, I, I've really got to do this by myself, that's, that's ludicrous. Yeah. It's impossible to be a Lone Ranger, scripture, uh, Lone Ranger Christian. Almost all of Scripture in the New Testament says, you've got to do this together. Yeah. We've privatized spirituality oh, in first century culture. Scripture doesn't do that. How can you love one another if there aren't any one another's? We're supposed to be in the context of community. I want to encourage those of y'all who are watching online, and I don't want to step on your toes. Please forgive me if this comes across as inappropriate. Um, If y'all are not in the house because you've got a comorbidity or you are not ambulatory or you've got a sick spouse or sick kid, that, that we totally get that. But if you don't have your behind in one of these seats because you're like, you know, I just prefer to be in my stretchy pants and be in my living room, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Because this isn't because we're checking off some box to be better because we met together. This is for our hearts and souls. Get in a community. Get in a community. You need to rub shoulders with other people. You know, there's a story in the Bible where there's a guy who's paralyzed and it says his friends take up the corner of his mat, carry him to the roof and lower him to Jesus. You need some people who know where the corner of your mat is. You need some people close enough to you that they can grab the corner of your mat. So, so this guy who has somebody come over, he has no way to get food, which is just shocking in their culture. Nobody ran out of bread in their culture. That's just considered unthinkable. One of the highest values in their culture is hospitality. So you never run out of bread. You always have enough just in case somebody pops over. But he's run out of bread. He's done the unthinkable. So he bangs on his neighbor's door and says, I know my crisis isn't your problem, but I have nothing to set before this guy to eat. Can I borrow some bread, pita, taco shells, anything? And it says, initially the dad says, don't bother me. I'm already in bed with my kids. Gee whiz, I've got an early morning. We've already turned off their iPads. We're done. You know, find somebody else to get something to eat from. This is your problem. You are irresponsible. And Jesus says, the guy didn't get up because he wanted to. He got up because of the the neighbor's impudence. That word impudence, I can't remember what verse it's in. Tell Joe to underline it. It is in verse 8. Impudence, the original word there in the Greek is anadia. Anadia is only used one time in the entire New Testament. That's called a hapax legomenon. Those of y'all who are trying to impress your parents that you're coming back to the Lord, write that down in your notes of your phone. You go, well, we talked about a hapax legomenons. That just means it's only used one time. That's the only time you'll see that word in all of the New Testament. Hapax legomenon. 
It's only used one time. Now, there's a, a historian by the name of Josephus. He uses that word a couple of times, and he always uses it in the pejorative sense. He uses it to talk about Nero. Remember Emperor Nero? Yeah. Those of y'all who paid attention during history, remember he was a narcissistic nut job? Yeah. And uh, he ruled Rome, so in effect the whole world in the first century. And remember, he hated Christians. Yeah. And he would send out his soldiers to round up Christians and then he would impale them on stakes, have them coated with car, tar and lit on fire. So early Christians were citronella torches at Nero's palace. He hated Christians so much. Well, when Josephus talks about Nero, he uses that word anadia. He says his impudence was evil, it was unstinking believable. So it's kind of surprising that Jesus would use that word in this story. He says it's only because of his impudence. I sat on that for a while and I thought, I don't know if I can really relate to that. And then I remembered something that happened a couple of years ago when I was in a hotel. I travel a lot for work. And uh, I was in a hotel and at about midnight, it was midnight or close to one o'clock in the morning, somebody started banging on my door. And I woke up and I went to the door and because the week before there was a fire alarm in the hotel I'd been staying at and it wasn't a pretend thing, it actually was a legit fire in the hotel. I think that was in the back of my mind. And so when, when the door, you know, somebody started banging the door, I thought, oh no, it's another fire. And I jumped up, but as I was running to the door, I at least had the presence of mind to not open the door all the way up. You know, I'm in a hotel room by myself. It's after midnight. So I just opened it. This was one of those hotels that had a little chain. Y'all remember those? And so I opened the door and it just opened about that much because that little chain. And when I opened it about that, that much, the guy who had been dang, banging on the door jammed his arm through the hole. It was a real hairy arm. He jammed his arm through the hole and he started yelling, Lori, Lori. And, and I was so flustered because of course I had just woken up and then I smelled the alcohol and then I heard a woman's voice in the hotel room right next to mine going, Michael, Michael. And I was like, wrong door, wrong door. And I just, wham, karate chopped his arm because I was just so flustered. You know, it's so awkward when somebody bangs on your door and you're almost asleep and you're not expecting it. Jesus wants us to understand this is kind of a shocking incident. It's shocking. The guy bangs on the door. It's just, it's shocking. It's the only time something exactly like this happens. And then he says, the dad gets up and he gives the neighbor bread. And if you take just that and you compare that to the end of the story, you can see how we get the takeaway, bang harder and God will listen to your prayers. Doesn't it sound like that would be the takeaway? But y'all, we miss the most important part. We miss the most important part. I, I had the privilege, I'm finishing up a doctorate at Denver Seminary and I had the huge privilege of sitting under a professor by the name of Craig Blomberg. He's one of the world's foremost authorities on the New Testament. Brilliant. I just tried to be quiet in his class because I was the dumbest person in his class. But he taught on this exact parable and he said, you've got to understand the parabolic symbolism. That means what each character represents. Jesus is telling a story so we can get a deep spiritual point. We've got the father in the story. Who do y'all think that represents? Y'all can talk back. 
God, Father God, exactly. Anytime you read a parable, Jesus tells 40, 39 or 40, there's a little bit of theological disagreement over whether one story is actually a parable, but he tells 39 or 40 parables in the gospels, none in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke have 40 parables. Anytime Jesus tells a story and don't worry about the baby. I became a mom at the age of 50 through the miracle of adoption. So when I hear babies in church, um, by the way, my baby girl is from Haiti and I understand we've got some Haitians at Boo. So y'all are family to us. Bonjour. So when I hear a baby in church, to me, that sounds like a miracle. And when I see believers look over their shoulders and give young parents like y'all dirty looks or aunties and abuelos dirty looks because they're holding the baby, I'm like, I pray the dirty lookers get hives because y'all, when we hear a baby in church, Lord have mercy. We should be grinning and celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. Give the parents some caffeine or whatever good stuff you've got in your backpack. So now where, I, where was I? What was I talking about? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Adrian. So 39 stories. In every single story, when Jesus talks about a father or a master or the owner of a vineyard, he's always talking about Father God. So that's the parabolic symbolism here of the dad who's fallen asleep. Then you've got the stranger banging, well, you've got the stranger coming over the guy's house. You've got the neighbor banging on the door. Dr. Blomberg, there's some disagreement over this in theological circles, but Dr. Blomberg says he thinks that the neighbor who's banging on the door represents an unbeliever. Banging on the door. Are you beginning to see how it couldn't be about us banging harder? And then children in a parable. What do children in a parable always represent us. They represent us. Where are the kids in this parable? They're in bed with who? Their father. So is this about twisting God's arm to get what we want? Is it about banging harder? Y'all, the point of this story is so much less about persistence and prayer than it is about proximity. It's about the fact that we are right next to our creator, Redeemer. Two years ago, Missy and I flew to Montana to be with uh, Levi and Jenny Lesko. I know y'all know the Lesko's great, great pastors, great church called Fresh Life in Montana. And I was excited to get to fly because this was on the tail end of COVID and we hadn't gotten to travel a lot. So I was fired up about going to Montana and getting to be with the Lescos. And it took us forever to get from Nashville to Montana because there weren't as many flights as there had been before. We had a long layover in Chicago. We finally get to Kalispell, Montana, like 12 hours after we left Nashville. And when we got there, the sun was still up. And so I said to Missy, my little girl was 12 years old at the time, I said, hey, baby, do you want to go for a hike? You know, we're in the mountains. It's beautiful. And she said, no, ma'am. And I said, okay. Um, well, you know, they've got a bunch of kayaks down by the lake. Do you want to go kayak or canoe down by the lake? No, ma'am. And I said, okay. Well, I mean, they have this awesome candy store, you know, where we went through that little town. And do you want to go get candy or ice, ice cream? No, ma'am. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, but at this point, I thought, I have a feeling that I'm getting on her nerves. And so I said, well, 
honey, this is my last offer. I didn't tell her that, but this is my piece de resistance. I hate hotel pools. I hate them with a white hot passion because they're just giant wads of bacteria. You can just, you know, you can smell the chlorine two floors away, you know, lots of precious pumpkins have tinkled in it. I just, I hate hotel pools, but Missy loves hotel pools. And so I said, baby, do you want to go swim? Because this hotel has a pool, it's actually indoor and it has a slide. I mean, that's like offering me, you know, free chips and queso. I mean, I'm all in. I'm never going to say no to that. And Missy said, no, ma'am. And I said, baby, am I getting on your nerves? She said, yes, ma'am. And then immediately after saying, yes, ma'am, she said, mom, is that disrespectful? And I said, no, honey, that's not disrespectful. That's called puberty. And I said, baby, here's the deal. I'm going to get on your nerves so much more in the next couple of years. And I said, that's just normal. That's you growing up. That's you becoming your own person. And I said, so here's the deal. We've got a couple of hours for bedtime. How about I draw an imaginary line down this hotel room? And you can be on your side and you've got a little bit of homework. So why don't you do that on your iPad and then you can do whatever you want. You watch a movie, just do whatever you want. And I've actually got some homework. So I'll stay on my side and I'll do my work. And I said, baby, if you need me, I'm right here. But I won't, I won't talk to you anymore, you know, unless you ask me a question. Is that cool? And she was like, yes, ma'am. And so about two hours passed. We stayed in our respective sides of the room. And then it was time to get ready for bed. And there were two sinks in this hotel room, so we brushed our teeth in silence. And then we went and got in our respective beds. And maybe 30 seconds after Missy got in bed, she said this, Hey, Mom, would you please come over and get in my bed and scratch my back? Because if you don't scratch my back, I don't think I can fall asleep. And I said, absolutely not. You need to crawl out of the window and you need to walk through the snow and you need to go to the parking lot and you need to go to the front desk and you need to ask the concierge if he'll bring you up here to our floor and then you need to bang on the door and you need to bang really loud because I'm not sure I'm going to answer it. But then if I answer it, you need to beg me to forgive you. Is that how I responded to my beautiful, amazing miracle of a child? When Missy said, Mama, Will you come over here and scratch my back? Y'all, my feet didn't touch the floor. I went from my bed to her bed in a beautiful leap, and I brought snacks. That's my kid. That's my kid. I love her more than I can wrap words around. I love her so much, and my love for my daughter pales next to God's love for us. You are not a bother to Him. You're not an interruption to Him. You have accessibility, immediate accessibility to the God who breathed this universe into existence. He's right there. You don't have to yell. You don't have to bang. You don't have to twist His arm. He loves you. He is a perfectly holy God, perfectly holy, transcendent, but He condescended to be close to us. He came in a suit of skin in really humble circumstances. He could have come 
wearing purple royal robes in a palace, but he didn't. He came in a barn and he came in the form of a baby. What's the first thing you think when you see a baby, most of you? You want to hold it, don't you? Y'all, from the beginning of time, what God has been saying to us over and over and over again is come closer, come closer, come closer. He's done everything to communicate to us that we can have access to Him. He's not a faraway, impersonal God. He's not an angry God. He's not waiting to smack you over the head with a Bible. Instead, He's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. What do you need? I'm right here. If you're in sin right now, He's saying, I'm right here with forgiveness. Just turn toward me. One turn and I'll run towards you. The story of the prodigal son and the father who ran. Do y'all get what was so significant about that story? I'm sure Pastor DC or Rich has preached on this before, Pastor Adrian. Y'all, dads didn't have Haynes his way in the first century. They just wore outer robes. So for Jesus to paint a picture of God the Father hiking up his robes, no Jewish man would do that. He hikes up his robe and he runs. Jewish men didn't run. Jewish dads didn't run. And he runs toward the prodigal. That's a God who's always moving toward us. It's a God who's always beckoning us to move toward Him. Pastor Adrian is going to come up and close out this family meeting. And as Pastor Adrian's coming up, um, I want to ask you a favor. I know I haven't earned the right to ask you anything. I know I'm a guest in this house. Um, but could I ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes? Even those of y'all at home, that might feel a little weird, but just... I would ask you to close your eyes, not to be religious, just so that you can focus on the nearness of God. And those of y'all in the room right now, I want to ask you a question. Nobody's looking around. Pastor Adrian and I are the only ones who have our eyes open. If you don't feel close to God right now, maybe there's some recent mistakes in your story that you are still holding on to shame about or maybe some things have been done to you that have just left you shredded maybe you've asked that age-old question if he's such a good god why did this happen to me if there is distance between you and god this morning can i ask you to just lift up your hand we're not going to have you come forward we're not going to embarrass you i just want yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Pastor Adrian is going to pray with y'all. He's going to talk with y'all for a moment about how you can access the love and the compassion of God. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to have all your questions answered. What you need is presence what Jesus promises over and over and over again is His intimate presence is available to us. It is not about your background. It is not about your behavior. It's actually about the fact that you're His. 
You are Imago Dei, created by God for intimacy with God. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we aren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in your next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com forward slash online. We love you.